I'm Joanna Roach with the Mariah Mitchell Association, and you're listening to The Nature of Nantucket. I am here today with Gary Walker, who is our telescope engineer and an astronomer. Welcome, Gary. Thank you, Joanna. I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about your your Mariah Mitchell story, as I'm now calling these. (laughs) When did you first come and join the team and how did that happen? Uh, It actually started in uh, late 2006 and 2007. I attended a conference on variable stars in Cambridge and the director of Mariah Mitchell, Dr. Vladimir Stronitsky, was uh, in attendance and gave a paper. Uh, I had recently uh, retired. And uh, so I chatted with him and told him that I had free time. And if I could help him with his newly uh, acquired grant to bring a telescope of large size to Nantucket, that uh, I'd be glad to help. And one thing led to another. And here we are 16 years later. (laughs) 16 years later. And so... What was it like when you came over in 2006? Were you familiar with the Mariah Mitchell Association? Like, tell me a little bit about your your level of understanding and interest and what, what did you know and then what did you find out? Well, I had known of Mariah Mitchell Observatory for a long time. I wasn't aware that they were particularly active. They used to give papers at the AAVSO meeting uh, every fall. And uh, they had sort of stopped doing that for a while. One of the things that had happened or as a result of getting this telescope is they typically would observe one week per year per summer on a trip to the West uh, that was arranged by Vladimir. And the first year that we got the big telescope, they all didn't make a trip and uh, they all got to observe uh, every clear night from Nantucket. Wow. (laughs) I think you said something interesting there every clear night from Nantucket. (laughs) Yeah, that that has uh, I haven't actually kept track of it, but certainly global warming, I think, has had an effect. We the the, the most observing we did one year was 35 nights of of data that we took. And last year we uh, had exactly three clear nights. So I've seen a general trend where things are not as clear as it seems like they used to be. Yes, I see. So what does it mean to exactly be a telescope engineer? Well, uh, it it has changed some over the years. Uh, At the time that we started uh, the telescope in Mariah Mitchell, uh, just prior to that, everything was done visually. Uh, At that time, uh, the emergence of CCD cameras uh, which are similar to DSLRs, but engineered to perform uh, in, in dark conditions. Uh, we're just coming on the scene and we're taking data. So you basically could sit at the computer, you could control the telescope, you could take pictures of the night sky, and then you could use various tools to uh, reduce the data and produce light curves of variable stars, which change somewhat during the night or during the week or during the season. And based on those variations, you can determine whether or not the star, determine why the star is changing. And there are about 20 types of variable stars uh, and many, many subtypes. Today, it has changed even more uh, as a result of the internet. And uh, we actually have a telescope in the Sierra Nevada mountains at 5,000 feet, where it's clear 290 nights per year. 
We set up a script and observe over the internet and wake up in the morning after a good night's sleep. And all our images are there usually. And uh, then we can reduce the data. <laughs> so very different process than in the, in the days of Mariah Mitchell. Uh, definitely. <laughs> and in terms of astronomy and getting started as a layperson astronomer, right? Citizen astronomer. How, what does that look like? And how can you get, if you're interested in that, how do you get started? One of the things we tend to recommend is for people to, of course, come to the open nights at Mariah Mitchell, learn a little bit about the sky. Uh, you can do a, an awful lot of astronomy observing with just a pair of binoculars. And if that continues, then, you know, you move to a small telescope and then a larger telescope and, and uh, then even a computer controlled telescope. Uh, and, uh, this, you know, the sky's the limit, as we say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, over these years, I know you've been involved in different types of research projects here. Talk a little bit about some of that research and why it's important. Well, the, the thing that happens is that you would imagine that the professional astronomers would, uh, you know, dominate the field of research. But the, the, lar- the professional astronomers and the large telescopes uh, are very oversubscribed. Uh, if you do get time on a professional telescope, it's usually two or three nights per year. And uh, if it's cloudy, it's just tough luck. Apply again next year. Uh, there are a lot of things in the, in, in the sky that change over a period of hours to minutes to days. And the large telescopes uh, you know, can't get that kind of time. Whereas the telescopes like the 24-inch at Mariah Mitchell... We can basically observe something every clear night and you can get far more insight into what's happening in in these objects uh, that way. Okay. And the system for presenting this information, I know that there are various, you know, organizations that you can present these papers to, but, and there's something called the AAAS. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. The the AAAS is the uh, sort of the, large uh, astronomical uh, society. Uh, It has uh, about 10,000 members. Uh, They have a January meeting and they have a summer meeting. There are typically three to 4,000 professional astronomers at these meetings. Uh, There are opportunities to give papers, uh, to listen to papers, uh, to present posters on on one's research, which is what the REU students do every year. Uh, there are prizes for the posters that are outstanding. Uh, Mariah Mitchell has gotten five or six in a row Chambliss Awards, which recognize uh, excellence in posters uh, over the last five to six years. Um, there are, uh, which is of great importance to me, there is a vendor uh, spot uh, a floor and uh, vendors of all sorts of astronomical equipment are there you can ask them questions typically there are the owners of the companies there are the sales reps technical people and you can get lots of insight you get advanced insight about new products products that are in the pipeline you can also feed back information uh, to the manufacturers about things you'd like to see and and i've done that and been very successful at having changes to to software and hardware uh, and uh, 
to, to, to advantage. Excellent. Excellent. And so where do you see the field of astronomy going in the future, you know, in terms of how it kind of affects all of this community in the sense that I know that there are, you know, telescope farms and, and, and there's a lot of interest in observing the night sky, but where will it go from here? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, it seems far-fetched, but 20 years from now, uh, amateurs could have their own satellite telescopes, their own mini Hubbles in orbit, maybe. It could be that wild. Uh, it turns out from space, uh, because you're not looking through the Earth's atmosphere, you get you know far better data than we can ever get here on Earth. <clears throat> With the proliferation of the Starlink satellites causing interference to a lot of telescopes, including the large professional telescopes, uh, telescopes in space, you know, don't have that problem. So that's one thing that can happen. Uh, I can I can see where telescope farms, as they're called, are, are going to be just about mandatory. I think we've just about reached the tipping point. I know where I am at Sierra Remote Observatory near Auburn, California, that the telescope to my left is, uh, is run by a bunch of guys from Caltech. And the telescope to my right is run by a research organization in Germany. And then to my south is a, a, an amateur telescope. So, you know, there, there is lots of professional activity in the telescope farms because they are all in places where the night sky is being impinged upon. And they love having the additional uh, number of nights of clear weather that you get at one of these uh, superb sites. Right, right. Yeah, so I'm just thinking a little bit about that whole sort of phenomenon. And when, you know, when students are going to school these days and coming out with a bachelor's degree and, and doing research work, how much time do they actually get to spend on a telescope? Typically not much because many of the programs are have morphed over into a data mining approach. There is a huge amount of professional data available, more than anybody can actually use. And because it's available, uh, a lot of courses go that way. Typically, there will be an observational astronomy course where students will get to use a telescope. Uh, I know that at the University of Indiana, they're having this discussion. They've typically been a powerhouse in observational astronomy, and they're wondering if they can continue that, should continue that, and, and so forth. I personally feel that uh, having been at a telescope and seen data and reduced it and seen anomalies and so forth, that that's an important skill set to have. Uh, if you just data mine data, you're just taking it for granted that it's correct and you have no uh, real way of knowing whether that's that's actually happening or could happening could happen. So, a lot of people who have done observational astronomy, like myself, do have some trepidation about this data mining approach. Uh, and uh, we try and combine at Mariah Mitchell some of both, uh, but it's very hard to spend adequate time on one or the other without making a choice. Mm -hmm. I see. And now you have recently become involved with something called astrophotography, mm -hmm. right? That is, is that, how new is that? Well, actually, astrophotography for me started uh, in, oh, my God, 1956. <laughs> uh, 
So it's not that new. <laughs> and uh, I was fortunate enough to have a telescope in high school and and uh, borrowed a DSLR camera with film and took pictures of the moon and planets and so forth. In about 1990, it became evident that the CCD detectors and cameras were significant advances, and uh, you could take pictures far better that way. And uh, so I've owned a camera since then. And uh, I very quickly, after about a year of owning a CCD camera, I had photographed, you know, pretty much interesting galaxies, clusters, nebula, and so forth. I was looking for something else interesting to do. And so I got involved in uh, citizen science, variable stars, measuring the magnitudes and then trying to figure out what what behavior was happening in these objects. And so that's what led me to to the conference and Vladimir and Mariah Mitchell and and here today. Yeah. Uh, recently, we've kind of rekindled an interest in doing that at Mariah Mitchell. Uh, taking some pictures of the night sky and the Milky Way and uh, those kind of objects. And with uh, a DSLR today, which is optimized for for regular pictures, it takes surprisingly good uh, Milky Way pictures, as you may have seen uh, on our website. And uh, it's fairly simple to do. And uh, we actually have talked about providing and, and organizing an astrophotography class going forward using just DSLRs as a first step, and then as the second step, uh, a small telescope. Yeah, I think that's exciting. And then in terms of like telescope maintenance, I think that one of the things that was really surprising to me is how much of it is done digitally or with the computer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I started uh, with film, I mean, it was all chemicals and you had a little tank and you developed your own film and so forth. Now, you know, you get your image basically 10, 15 seconds after it's taken and you can see exactly, you know, what you're getting and make adjustments, increase the exposure, change the filter, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. You can see when it's out of focus uh, and so forth. So it's it's a, a very uh, more involving process now than it used to be. And uh, it produces you know better results. Now, the, the data reduction and the science, that typically happens the next day and the next week and the next month. But... Uh, the, the, the amount of analysis required is, is limitless and you keep asking questions until you can't you know, ask any more questions and then you're ready to write a paper. So now tell me about some of your favorite things in the Nantucket night sky, right? Now that you've been looking at it for something like 16 years. <laughs> well, one of the most favorite objects, of course, is the Orion Nebula. It's called so-called M42. The M stands for Messier, who is Charles Messier. He was a comet hunter back in the 1700s. Uh, he found that there were these fuzzy objects, and he would watch them to see if they moved. And if they moved, they were comets. If they didn't move, then they were fixed objects, faint fuzzy objects. And so these things were basically annoyances to him, and so he started cataloging them so he could determine their positions and then refer to them quickly when he observed them on, on another night uh, and, and then move on 
continuing his search for comets. So um, also uh, the Owl Nebula, which is Messier 97, is another great one. Uh, M51, which is the Whirlpool Nebula, is uh, another very interesting object. The Pleiades, which is uh, a cluster that looks like uh, the Little Dipper, except it's not. Uh, is also very interesting, and it's uh, M45. Um, in the summer, we're coming up on what's called galaxy season. So we'll be able to see the uh, M65, M66, which are two uh, galaxies in, in the constellation Leo. Uh, they'll be prominent. And in fact, we'll be doing some star count work later this month with the constellation Leo at Mariah Mitchell. That's great. Well, thank you, Gary. This is so, so interesting. And we've learned a lot from you of all the places that you've done stargazing, because this is relevant right now. Where is the darkest skies? Mauna Kea, Hawaii. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Is that where the Keck telescope is? Yes. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, we were up at 10,000 feet which is at the visitor center. And uh, you have to be careful about how fast you move. And, uh, and you know, you can get altitude uh, effects up there. But uh, that was, that's the darkest, clearest skies uh, that uh, I've experienced. All right. Well, more on that in another show. We'll talk about dark okay. skies. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Gary. I am Joanna Roach. I'm with the Mariah Mitchell Association. Our podcast is called The Nature of Nantucket. And I have enjoyed chatting with Gary Walker, who is our telescope engineer and astronomer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.